Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Letter that Paul wrote to the first church he ever started. It was the first church on the European continent. And the idea of this letter was how you can have a life of joy. And joy is not circumstantial. Joy doesn't depend on what you have or don't have the size of your house or who your boyfriend slash girlfriend is. It really is found in Christ. And today he lands in this passage where he's saying, listen, all I've been through, I've really discovered the secret in life. And the secret, we're gonna, we're gonna unpack that. And I think it's a great Sunday for seniors. I mean, we landed here, not on purpose, just letting the text preach the text, but for these kids that are graduating, going to their next chapter of life, what, what, a, what a great Sunday, because Paul's gonna say, I'm gonna give you the secret to life. And that secret really is summed up in one word, contentment. Let me show it to you, Philippians chapter four, verse 11, just a couple of verses. Not that I've ever been in need, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live in almost nothing and with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. It says this in verse 13, probably one of the most famous verses out of Philippians, maybe one of the more famous verses in the New Testament, for I can do all things. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I'm 47 years old. I've been fighting the battle of contentment my entire life. Just being discontent sometimes with the amount of money or don't have in the bank or being content with the stuff I have or don't have or being discontent with who likes me or doesn't or being discontent with the positions I have or don't have. So my, my advice to you here that are starting to judge me is don't because that's a humanity thing. We all wrestle from time to time with just contentment and the statistics say it's not getting any better, it's actually getting worse. Some recent research showed that from the age of 13 to the age of 40, like it's all downhill in terms of happiness. They say the peak year of your life in order of, of being content is 74. 74. So good news, it's coming, right? Paul says, I've learned how to be content. And we all wrestle with this, even going back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter two, because that is a picture of contentment. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he created Adam and he created Eve. And the idea is that God walked in the garden every day with Adam and Eve and he had relationship and intimacy with them. They didn't have to work. Adam could fish all day. Thanks for messing that up, Adam. You know, the, the understanding is that children weren't a pain. No, I mean, the childbirth wasn't painful, right? And so Genesis chapter two was this picture of contentment. And then Genesis chapter three, is the picture of discontentment. Because God had given them a whole garden and says, listen, you can have all the fruit, you can have all this, you don't have to work, it's just gonna be there. But then they wanted just a little bit more. They weren't quite content with the blessings that God had given them. So the origin of sin has its root in discontentment. And it's so easy to look at Adam and Eve and go, good Lord, they're so dumb, they messed it up for all of us. But yet we do the same. If they hadn't eaten the fruit, I'm fully convinced Jimmy Lonsdale would have. You know what I'm saying? He didn't mess it up for all of us. We constantly desire more. We constantly want better. We complain about what we don't have. We complain about where we are in life. But let me be real clear, real quick. Seniors especially. Like, there's nothing wrong with balanced ambition. It is great to work hard. It's great to be successful. Doing things, excellence actually brings glory to God if you point it back to him. But when that gets out of balance, it turns to unhealthy discontent, and that can actually have a pretty ugly trickle-down effect. So there's a lot of things that lead to discontent. I wanna talk about four big ones, then I wanna solve the problem that I'm creating this morning. The first thing that leads to discontentment is greed. 
Like even going back to the story of Adam and Eve, we have all these trees and all this fruit, but we want just a little bit more. This, what God's given me is not enough. When I compare myself to my peers or my neighbors or my friends or so on and so forth, right? We just, greed kind of creeps in and we desire just a little bit more, which can lead to frustration with God. Hey, they have a better house. Hey, they have a better marriage. Hey, they have a better career. And, and so we start to feel like maybe God loves them more than he loves me. And it can create almost, I can doubt God's nature. So greed can lead to discontentment. The second one is pride. We feel like we can do better at planning our own life than God can do. I know what's best for me better than God knows. I, I know what's best for me to have and the doors for me to go through. And even though God's gonna close this, I'm gonna get mad because my pride says I know what's best for my life. And so pride can lead to discontentment. Then there's entitlement. Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that we're endowed by our creator. God gave us rights, and it's kind of obvious. And we believe these to be inalienable rights, that there's life, liberty, and very important, pursuit of happiness. We believe God has given all humans the right, right to life, right to liberty, and the important part is pursuit of. We've just dropped the pursuit of. Now it's an entitlement that I have the right to be happy. That's not what Thomas Jefferson said. That's not what God has promised. You have the right to pursue it. What you do in getting there are the choices you make. I'm a freedom guy. I'm a liberty guy, right? But we need to be very careful that entitlement can create an unhealthy balance in us. So entitlement can lead to discontentment. Finally, idolatry. This one's tough, a little heavy. But the reality is anything we would want more than we want what God has for us, like anything that I would want more than what God has for me starts down the path of idolatry. Anything that I would look to, like if it's something or someone to fulfill me or to complete me, if I look to that more than Jesus, that starts down the path of idolatry. Like the children of Israel, they got really impatient waiting on God and waiting on Moses, so they decided to create their own idle, they became discontent. So Paul writes this letter to his Christian friends in the city of Philippi, because he spent a lot of time with them. They have a soft place in his heart. It's the first church he planted. It's the first church in Europe. Like, I want you to have joy. That's the point of this whole letter, is how we can have a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. And then Paul was a man who'd been in the right social circles. He's a man that had been among the religious elites. He'd been a prisoner. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned. He'd been left for dead. He'd experienced the highest highs and the lowest lows. And Paul's saying, listen, and the same thing that I would say to you graduates, let me share with you the secret of life and it's learning how to be content. You don't just blink your eyes. There's no medication that I can give you that makes you content. Paul says, I have learned the secret of life and that's learning how to be content. Before I go any further, I think we need to stop and just ask ourselves a question. Before I go any further and kind of give you the answers to those four problems, you need to ask yourself this question. Is this something I really want? Is joy something I really want in my life? And what am I doing? What am I willing to do to find joy? So I'm gonna give you some insider trade secrets, right? Sometimes people come in for pastoral counseling. Maybe you're one of those or you come in for marriage counseling or whatever. And a lot of times, whatever the issue is, I'll ask this question. What are you willing to do to save your marriage? What are you willing to do to fix this issue? What are you willing to do to solve this problem? And typically the first response is, oh, I will do anything. 
But within just a few questions and a few moments, you discover that that statement, I will do anything, is not true. There's been times where a career or marriage is really hammering down on a marriage. And so are you willing to do it? Yeah, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Hey, we might need to find a new job. I can't do that. Or there might be a toxic friendship that's really causing a wedge. And we ask, hey, are you willing to give up that friendship? I'm willing to do anything, but I won't do that. There's a hope to fix it. There's, there's a small desire to fix it, but the willingness to do the hard stuff is just not there. So it's a good time for, before I go any further, to just, you need to ask yourself, is this something I really want? Is joy, a life of contentment, something that I'm really willing to do? Because I'm gonna tell you, from this point on, for the next 12 minutes, it's gonna be heavy. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be tough. That's what I've discovered, is people who are absent of joy it's not circumstantial. It's not because their house isn't big enough or they don't have nice enough cars. It's because they're not willing to do the things that scripture calls and compels us to do. There's a hope. I hope I can do these things. I'd like to do these, but the willingness to do the tough stuff. So if you have the handout we handed you, you'll notice there was one, two, three, four. I, I gave you those four things that lead to discontentment. Now I'm gonna, like, here's a counter for that. If greed's a thing, then here's the answer to that. The first one was, was greed leads to discontentment, but to counter that is generosity. Like to be a generous person. And I know, I know a room this size, there's some of you that watch late night TV preachers with their hair slicked back and they're asking you to plant a seed of faith into their, you know what I'm saying? I, I, get, I get that. And so maybe there's some skeptics in the room and you're like, you're just saying generosity because you want my money. And that's absolutely not true. I, I'll just be honest with you. If that's your heart, keep your money. Because God and the church, we don't want something from you. Honestly, there's a principle here that we want for you. I shared this a minute ago. There's a lot of great people that buy into the vision. And you see the fruit of that vision. They get this principle. We're going to get to do some really cool stuff this summer. And this is not a fundraising principle that I'm trying to share you. This is a principle that helps bring contentment into your life. If you buy into it, it helps you push against your natural tendency to be selfish and to be greedy and it unlocks contentment in your life. I've never in all my life, maybe you have, I've never met somebody who absolutely loved to give and they were a grumpy old goat. I just don't know anybody like that. Now, I know people who love their money and they're grumpy old goats, but I've never met somebody that loved to give and they were unhappy. Here's how scripture says that, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let each one of us give, decide in your heart, purpose in your heart, not grudgingly, not out of pressure, not because I have to, but God loves when people unlock this principle and they gladly, cheerfully give. I think it's interesting that he puts cheerful and giver together because generosity is something that unlocks contentment in our life. Cheerful givers have connected the dots. I have everything in Christ I need. To whom much is given, much is required. God has blessed me to be a blessing. It does something in us. It does our heart good to be generous people. Number two is pride, the counter to that. Pride leads to discontentment, and the counter to that is worship. And worship's a beautiful thing. It's a humbling thing, man, to sing and, and surrender and lift your hands and, and worship. Man, I have to do that. I have to push through. Oh, Lord, everybody's watching me. Everybody's gonna think I'm, I'm a sissy man. Everybody's gonna think I'm, I'm a weakling. Ah, you know. No, 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 no. Worship is an absolute beautiful thing. I have to push through. I don't care who's around me. I care who I'm singing to, who I'm worshiping to, and who I'm talking to. Worship does something in me. Pride really is worshiping myself. And if pride's gonna lead to discontent, then worship is what will lead to being content. And worship really comes at a heart of gratitude. James 4 says it this way. 
You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor. Like this life, in the scope of all the universe and all of eternity, this life is just a vapor. It's here, it's gone. Meaning that there's an eternity, there's forever that's coming. And in one translation said that this life is just like a morning fog that burns off quickly. And what you do with Jesus determines where you go in your forever. So if Jesus died on the cross, he paid a way for me to be forgiven, even though this life has good days and bad days and trials, I know that this life is just a snap of a finger. It's here, but it's gone in a moment. And Jesus died on a cross so that I could spend forever with him. I really ought to be grateful for a cross. Being grateful that I have all I need in Jesus. Being grateful that he paid forgiveness so that I can be in relationship with him. Just a few verses later in Philippians 4.19, the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, which has been given in Christ Jesus. So worship is saying, God, I'm just thankful for Jesus. If all Jesus did was die on the cross so that I could spend eternity with him, is that enough? I have all I need in Christ. You got greed, you got pride. Number three was entitlement leads to discontentment. And the answer to that, kind of the spiritual counter is just serving. Serving leads to contentment. If anyone had the right to be entitled, it was Jesus. He left the comfort of heaven to solve our problem. It wasn't his problem, it was our problem. Philippians chapter two, we covered this like 47 weeks ago. There's this beautiful theological passage in there about Jesus. And it says this, instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He was entitled to come to earth and we serve him, but Jesus gave all that up. He took on the humble position of a servant. Matthew 20, 28. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It was Jesus that grabbed the towel and the bowl of water and washed the feet of his disciples. Titlement will set you up to always be offended. Because what I think I'm entitled to and what the world thinks I'm entitled to are two completely different things, and there's a big gap that separates those two. And this is how beautiful and masterful God is that he created every one of us when we live our life for a good greater than our own, when we serve, when we make a contribution in our generosity, in our generation, man, it's good. It, there's just something about helping someone that is so satisfying and God wired us this way. Jesus humbled himself, made himself a servant. Paul made himself a servant to the gospel. Something happens in you and I when we make ourselves a servant. So if entitlement leads to discontentment, serving leads to Contentment, number four, everybody repeat after me. Say, I love tacos. All right, let's try that one more time. I love BK. If you're new, I'm BK, right? I just wanna remind you because this is about to get heavy. You guys okay with that? He's gonna say some stuff that I think some graduating seniors probably need to hear. And it's gonna step on our toes and it's gonna hurt and you're gonna go, and if you don't wanna come back, totally fully understand that. God didn't call me to necessarily grow a church. He called me to preach the word of God. And my job is to shepherd, and sometimes a shepherd has to guide and direct and sometimes even do things the sheep don't like. So idolatry, and so the counter to that is faithful obedience. Okay? I'm gonna be that guy. In the past 20 years, church attendance has declined by 20% or more. In 2000, in the year 2000, 69% of Christians, I'm not talking about 69% of Americans, 
69% of Christians said they attended church regularly. In 2020, 20 years later, 49, less than half of Christians admitted to attending church regularly. Down by 20%. This is, this is what I know when a family drops out of church or an individual drops out of church for some reason or other, okay? And this is a, not every situation, but a vast majority within two years, things start to unravel. And what really makes me nervous is the pandemic. Because we just got out of the rhythm of going to church. And next thing you know, addictions start to crop in. Saw that in the pandemic. People drop out of church, whether pandemic or not, will start to run affairs. Marriages start to unravel. Kids start to take a wrong turn. And it's not so much of what you get out of church. I mean, it certainly didn't hurt. helps hearing and preaching and teaching the word of God, being surrounded by people that love you and are praying for you. But it's the discipline that as a person, it's the discipline as a family, we're gonna put first things first. Jesus said it this way. I don't have a slide, but Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God, then everything else falls in line. So it's this principle of being a worship first family. I'm gonna do things first. Listen, high school graduates, put God first, everything else falls in line. So if we worship first, that impacts everything else in the week. If we give first, that impacts everything behind that. So if idolatry creates discontentment, faithful obedience contributes to contentment. The number of atheists has doubled since the previous generation. Meaning, there are twice as many of this generation, Generation Z, twice as many of them identify as atheists than millennials. Why? Because church was optional. I love you. I love your kids. I told you it's going to get heavy. I love your family. It's absolutely a thousand percent great to take a vacation. You're fixing to do that. You're planning that. Go get it. Go have fun. You need to miss me. You just do, right? But make sure you keep first things first. Something happened in 2001. I don't know. I mean, it's weird to me because that year with the terrorist attacks, I remember September 12th, churches were full. But something in 2001 alone happened. Church attendance declined by 14% that year alone. Here's one of the reasons why Americans have money. We're living in the wealthiest time in the world. Affluence allows opportunities for us to travel and enjoy that. That's great. Our children, I love you. Our children dictate our schedule. So the reality is if your seven-year-old is gonna be a D1 football player, right, then they gotta play ball. It's gotta consume your life at seven, eight, nine years old, right? And here we are 20 years later and you, you, you have no choice. If your kid's gonna play, they've gotta travel, they've gotta go, they've gotta do all this and you gotta give up Sunday. We lost the battle. Slowly and surely we lost the battle. I'm not saying this to be heavy or condemning. I'm saying this out of hurt for you. I'm glad my kids are past that because as parents today and you want your kids to play, you don't have choice. We used to, Sunday used to be sacred, but no longer do we have a choice. I don't have an answer for you other than to make sure that you keep the first things First, when you can, do the best you can. Sunday morning, the kid can go to the ball field and play ball with their friends, or they can go sit in church. What do you think the seven-year-old's gonna choose? They're gonna go to the ball field. And now those seven-year-olds are 27-year-olds. I'm not judging, I'm not condemning. I actually, I just hurt because I know you want to. It's just really, really hard because we lost. And you have no choice. And I don't have those answers other than just know this will tear away at your contentment. You're going to wake up one day and go, what happened? What happened? 
It's sharply taking a toll on our family. The statistics don't lie. We're more depressed. We're alone. We're frustrated. Here's one, though. Divorce is actually in decline. We're not even getting married anymore. We just live together. I love you. And I know I sound like that get off my lawn, grumpy old guy. And that's not my heart. My heart is to to love you, to just, I, I can't connect all the dots for you. I'm just telling you, faithful obedience, being a first things first family. It is so fundamental. It is so essential to discovering a fulfilling life of joy in Christ. We think doing all this stuff, being all this busy, chasing all this stuff, we think that will make us happy, and yet the statistics don't lie. We're not getting there now till we're 74 years old. This is why I ask you, what are you willing to do to find joy? Oh, I'll do anything. Things that cause discontentment in our lives, we've got to be intentional counter that. We're looking for shortcuts. There's no medication I can give you that'll make you content. You have to be willing to do the tough stuff like be generous and worship and unselfishly serve and faithfully obey. Then Paul makes one of the most powerful statements in the New Testament. I'm just about done. I would hate to spend 16 weeks in Philippians and miss this one. We've made posters out of it, social media, artwork, t-shirts, books, bracelets. Many of you can quote it. You've been waiting for me to get to Philippians 4.13. Like when you think about this verse, right? Like, oh my gosh, he's talking about having the faith to move mountains. He's talking about a coach inspiring his team to win a national championship or helping me run a marathon or overcome the most insane obstacles. He's not. He's talking fully and completely about what it takes to live a life of joy. And he says, I can do everything through Christ. The things I've just talked about, you're gonna need Christ's help to do those things. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Such an inspiring verse, man, when we're at our wit's end. It's so motivational when we're feeling deflated. So important to memorize. But in full context of what Paul is saying, I have found the secret to life. I've learned how to be content. I've learned you have to do the tough stuff. And I could have never done it on my own. Young people, right? God don't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy because he knows the end result will be your happiness. Get off my lawn. All right, I'm leaving. I could have never done it on my own. Paul's saying you can't do this on your own. You can't raise your kids right on your own. You gotta have Jesus at the center of that family. You can't stand up for what's right. You gotta have Jesus at the center of your family. You can't stay married without Jesus. You can't do the hard stuff without Jesus. Always faithfully obey. You won't find joy and contentment without Christ. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen, everybody. Hey, thanks for watching this sermon on our Hillspring YouTube channel. If you enjoyed it, take just a moment, hit that subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single thing. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you want to help reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv. Hit that Give Now button to help us carry the hope of Christ around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, 
visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.